Colossians. And I invite you to take a Bible now to open it to Colossians. It's a letter in the New Testament. If you're using one of the pew Bibles provided for you, you'll find it on page 983. And we're going to go through this very short letter one week a Sunday. One chapter a week. I think that makes more sense. (laughs) One chapter a Sunday. Uh, We will go through the book of Colossians. So this uh, morning is chapter one, uh, next week two, and then we'll be uh, on Labor Day Sunday in chapter four uh, of Colossians. And uh, it's a a short letter, but uh, therefore I invite you from now till then to make it a letter that you can read it all the way through in about 15 minutes. And just like any letter you might get in the mail, you don't usually stop and wait a week to keep reading it. Uh, you digest all of it if you can at the same time. And so I invite you to do that. It's, it's a short letter, but its length is not any indication of its depth because it's a profoundly deep uh, letter. But hopefully you're there and we'll read chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh and by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, 
to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And that's where we'll conclude our reading for this morning. Here Paul is writing a letter and he's alluded to it at the end of this chapter, but he didn't say it specifically Uh, But we find out later when we get towards the end and read all of it at one time that he's writing this letter from prison. And he is in prison in what is the capital city of the empire at that time, in Rome. The story of how he made it there from Jerusalem is its own story. The whole book of Acts is sort of dedicated to telling the story of how the message of the gospel got from Jerusalem into then the other known parts of the world at that time. But he acknowledges that he is suffering something that he's not asking for pity on, but just recognizing that everyone he's writing to knows where he's at, where he's writing from, and he's seeking to commend them, the brothers and sisters located at the church in Colossae. He can't be there in person because he's basically under a form of house arrest. So he has some freedom. He can write. He can exchange communication with people, but he's not free to get on a boat and travel to this place. And so he writes a letter to them. And the core of the message of this, we could say, is from verses 15 to 23. And so we've gotten the title of the message today, the preeminence of Christ, from this very uh, section of chapter 1. What Paul says here about Jesus, it's condensed, but it's profound. It's amazing. And this is something that Paul himself was converted into. This wasn't always his perspective about Jesus. Paul was the person who, when people started talking about Jesus, would go after them and try to put them in prison. (laughs) That's his backstory. He didn't believe this. He didn't want to hear it. He didn't like anyone else believing it, and he didn't like anyone else telling the message. And he experienced a conversion of his own where now he started to believe all of these things about Jesus. And what we see is that Paul came to see the uniqueness of Christ and the gospel. The uniqueness of Christ and the gospel. That the very things that Jesus claimed he could do and the person he claimed to be were in fact totally unique. So some people might come to us and say it's, it's pretty audacious to, or audacious to think there's a singular way to heaven that only one Savior could be offered to the world when the world is so big and there are so many people and so many different ways of thinking and ways of believing. And I understand that at one level. And Paul, part of understanding his story is to recognize that as he could say in this letter that Christ is before all, he's the end of all, he's in all, he's over all, and come to this perspective, as he examined his life, he realized that Christ was making a unique claim. If it's true, then it has unique implications. 
But Christ himself wasn't simply introducing himself as just another teacher, just another miracle worker, to be added among a list of peers who are all doing the same thing at different times and place. The unique truth of who Jesus was and the message that he brought to us in the gospel was not, if you will, as as Paul would have looked out at the Roman world and said, okay, well, the Romans worship this God and Colossae, they worship this God and we, the people of Israel, worship this God and we all have our own different ways of doing things and now we have to figure out who's right and so have this sense of whether our basically group of people or tribe or religion is more superior to yours or anyone else's. Paul is saying, no, no, no. Actually, what Jesus is saying is that he is the God who has come down to save us all. That this isn't from the ground up, someone in arrogance saying, I've figured out something that no one else has figured out. But this is looking at the world then and looking at the world today, recognizing that all of us are longing for something. All of us are craving transcendence, meaning, purpose. All of us need resources in suffering and in grief and in tragedy. And that's expressed a million different ways in all different groups of people and religions. But what he's claiming about Christ is that he, the one God who is there, sent his one and only son into the world and that he is the answer to the longing of all of those human hearts. Not as an insult to any one of them, but as a gift of grace to every one of them, Paul himself included. So Paul recognized that even in his own background, in his own way of thinking, in all that he believed was right and true, there was a glimpse, there was a mystery, there was a hoping for and a pointing, but until Christ came, it, it was still getting a little bit down the road, but never feeling like we've arrived. And his announcement now is not that some of us have figured out how to get there, but that God has been willing to come and enter into this world. And so the question is, can God provide a way of salvation that is sufficient for the whole world and everyone he's created? And the answer to that is, well, yeah, I think he can. (laughs) I think if he can make it all, I think if he can oversee it all, even if it all goes awry, is he able to create a solution that is sufficient for all people in all times, in all places? And Paul is saying he can. And not just that he can, but that he has. And that's unique that's coming alongside of people, not with a superiority over them, but in his own humility to say, I needed this just as much as anyone. I was fighting against it. I thought it was stupid. I wouldn't listen to it. I was trying to stop it. And then I discovered that Christ really is everything I was longing for and everything I was hoping for and that I don't have to keep striving because he has come and done the work for me. And that's a unique message. Not, do you think your 10 rules are right or these four rules or should it be praying five times a day or four times a day? It's saying all of those things reveal a fundamental human longing and need that is there because of how we were created. We were made this way. 
and the good news that Christ has come to provide what it is that all of us long for. But we were in darkness. We were shrouded in mystery. And he has come to bring light. He has come to make it known. And it gives us then the resources to come alongside of all different kinds of people from all backgrounds and share with them what we believe is good news of great joy for all people in the language of the announcement of his birth when Christ came. Yesterday, it was a bit of false advertising. It was a unique experience though. Uh, Our family went to the farmer's market at Howe Meadow in the Cuyahoga Valley National Park. We'd heard about it from tons of people. We'd never gone ourselves. Like, this is absolutely perfect weather. We really should go. And so we go, and I'm like, you know, I think it's going to be warmer, and I have a unique problem that I need to be wearing a hat anytime. The weather's really good um, to prevent certain things from happening. And so when I put a hat on, oftentimes then the kid, the boys are like, well, I want to wear a hat too. So we're just walking around looking at different vendors, and someone comes up to me and says, hey, I can't help but I noticed your hat. And I totally forgot what I was wearing. And he said, I was wearing a Rolls Royce hat, which I got from my dad when he passed away three years ago. Well, he had it, and I still have no idea why he had this hat. He never owned a Rolls Royce. He never worked for Rolls Royce. And as many people in his life that are his peers that I've asked, like, did you give him this hat? No, I didn't give him the hat. Did you? Like, I don't know the story behind this. I just happened to put it on. But the guy comes up to me, I can't, I help, but I noticed your hat. And I used to work for Rolls-Royce, and I can't stand my current job, and I'd love to work for Rolls-Royce again. I was like, I am so sorry, sir. This is about as false advertising as it gets. I don't own a Rolls-Royce. I don't work for Rolls-Royce. I can't help you in any way do it. And he said, oh, okay, no, no. I just, I noticed it, and so, and we had a nice conversation. He walks away, and uh, I look down at then Joshua, who's wearing a hat, and he has a hat because his aunt went to the Boston area, and then she bought him a hat from Harvard. And so he's walking around three and a half years old with a hat that says Harvard on it, and I have a Rolls Royce hat. I'm like, wow, as a whole family, we are really lying here about who we are or where we come from. Um, But the sense that for some people, what they saw was this realization, if not an offense to them, but uh, if that is true, I'd love to know more about that. And we enter into the subject of global missions with ourselves and with the world to say, even if what you have is good, what we're offered in the gospel is great. It's better. It is actually what we all long for, that we can put an end to our striving to be good enough, smart enough, knowledgeable enough, to be routine enough in our discipline in order to earn salvation, that what is emphasized in the uniqueness of the gospel from verses 15 to 23 is that the one who is the image of the invisible God by whom all things exist, for whom all things exist. He was there at the beginning. He's going to be there at the end. And that's true for the whole world, for them to know that between the beginning and the end, he has entered into and offered the gift and the grace of reconciliation with him. Redemption. Which is what we're all looking for. We all need forgiveness like we need food. That's what the Lord's Prayer tells us. And so, yes, many people can have their own ideas about it and how we get it. 
But if the one person we need it from the most is the person who enters into our story and offers it to us. That if God himself visits the planet, says this is who I am, this is how much I love you, that is totally unique. And so Paul, in the conviction of that message, which was a conversion experience for him, he now, in this unique, the uniqueness of Christ in the gospel, applies himself to the uniqueness of Christian community. In the truthfulness of this, he's writing from a prison cell to a place where he doesn't know the majority of the people and where his life before used to only be jealous of other people and hostile towards other people. He now has a posture of generosity and grace toward them. That he can write this letter that as you and I read it, it's like it feels like a, a parent writing to a child they've always known and just wishing them all the best but he doesn't actually know these people very well. He's not seen most of them face to face. He doesn't know what their backstory is. But the uniqueness of this message allows him to enter into friendship with complete strangers, to believe that they're part of a family when most of them don't have the same bloodline. That's a unique reality which the gospel creates. Because in a world where all that matters is your bloodline and all that matters is your tribal God, how we possibly get people from other backgrounds and other tribes to work together and to believe that they're family with one another, we have, we're limited, we're stuck. We don't know how to do that. Unless the one God who made us all sent his son to die for us all and has given us reason to love one another. And to say, I know you don't know that person. I know they're not your cousin. I know they didn't grow up where you grew up. But I'm the one who's before all and in all and through all. And so because of me, you better. <laughs> you better. You have every reason to get to know a stranger. You have every reason to welcome someone into your family who you might not otherwise know. And so the first part of the chapter from verses 3 to 14 is Paul writing this profound description of rejoicing in other people, loving them and longing for all the best for them. And it's unique because it's people that for most of whom he doesn't know. But now because of the uniqueness of Christ and the gospel, he feels this sense of community to them. That in this mysterious way, just like Christ can provide salvation for all people, he can unite all people in a new humanity. And our theology affects our anthropology. What we believe about God affects how we think of other people. And if for the majority of human history, if you weren't in the political class, if you weren't in the religious class, if you weren't in the right bloodline, your life didn't matter. Your rights were incredibly limited. We now have, after generations and generations and generations of Christian principles lived out, many people today who don't even acknowledge Christ have a fundamentally Christian view of humanity, which is everyone matters. Everyone has rights. You're not more valuable just because you have more money, and you're not less valuable just because you're going through the hardest thing you've ever gone through in your life. Who you are as someone made in God's image is something that no other person can take from you. And that flows from our conviction of the truthfulness of who Jesus is. 
And then as that develops in our hearts, so Paul went from someone who didn't believe in Jesus to someone who did, from someone who didn't rejoice in other people, didn't care about them, to someone who prays for them and longs for them and encourages them. Lastly, then the uniqueness of Christian patience and hope. Verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Wow. (laughs) If it's hard to believe what Paul says about the universe, then as we imagine him in a prison environment, and he just says, not just I figured out how to endure this, but he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That's a vision of patience and hope that Paul can, in affliction, have a perspective of what God is doing throughout the world and the globe, what he's doing throughout eternity. And he can know that God is up to something, whether that's realized in the next 12 hours or not. He's learned that he's a part of this much bigger, broader story. And so he doesn't look at the world through simply his experience of being stuck in house arrest. He can look at being under house arrest through the larger story of what he's come to understand, the purpose of the universe. And as he understands it, he can say, I've learned how to rejoice in this. Because if we are going to be committed to loving other people who aren't like us and strangers will become friends and we'll reach out to people of different backgrounds and cultures and classes, it will require not just effort, but endurance. Right? Sometimes if, if, if you feel like someone's asking you for help and you extend help, maybe you give them money and then you see them squander it, you're, you kind of become pretty quickly judgmental to say, well, I'm never doing that again. Whereas if meaningful community is going to be built through the gospel across culture and time and generations, we're going to have to endure that. So how do you give to someone, see them squander it, and then give to them again? And see them squander it. Not only squander it, but actually come back to you and be hostile toward you. I mean, Paul knows that. That's what Paul used to do to people. He was the persecutor. And he needed Christians who could forgive him for the things he did against them so that he could be a part of this unique community. And so Paul's trying to equip them for the very same thing. This isn't just a one-time, how do you emotionally manipulate people to do one thing? No, no, no. Paul's in this for the long play. And so he knows there's going to be an ebb and flow. And if we don't have the resources of the uniqueness of the message and the uniqueness of the community, we will lose patience and we will give up hope. But Paul's writing this letter to say, we have every reason to maintain our patience, to continue our hope. Christ is our hope, the hope the hope of glory. We have every reason to be excited. And so we believe in global missions because we see here Paul writing from the center of the known world at that time, writing to places outside of it, saying, keep on doing what you're doing. Keep spreading the faith. The message is going and you need to keep on doing it. And here we are in 2018, thousands and thousands of miles removed from where all this took place. And we are the beneficiaries of people before us who brought the message to us. I'm thrilled. Most of you know we have the opportunity as a family to be, Lord willing, in Israel the first two weeks in October. One of the things I'm not thrilled about is that our return flight has no layover, and it's a direct flight from Tel Aviv to Newark, New Jersey, 12 and a half hours. 
right? Good luck. (laughs) So that's with all of our modern technology and engineering at hundreds and hundreds of miles an hour, 30,000 feet above the ground, it's going to be 12 and a half hours of a flight to get from there to the coast. And then another seven-hour drive before we're back to Akron. So how am I standing here today in Akron, Ohio, reading from a letter Paul wrote in Colossians in the English language in a way that you're able to see about things that happened not just that far away, but that long ago because other people believed this is so unique. This has to be told. And it has to be told at a willingness to make sacrifice and impatience and up rivers and over mountains and across oceans wherever people are. This needs to be told. This needs to be heard because this is good news of great joy for all people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the truth of your son, that you look down upon this globe that you have made in every human heart and that what are limitations to us in time and language and geography are not limitations to you. That you could, through your Son, provide a way and a hope, gift and grace for every one of us that is totally unique. So we pray that you would help us to receive it as the treasure that it is and that you would help us then to extend it as the blessing that it is meant to be. And we just want to remember those who have treasured it before us, those who have made sacrifices before us so that we could hear and receive and live into this good news and experience the uniqueness of the community that it provides and the hope that it gives. We thank you for each and every one of them as well. In Jesus' name, amen.